Welcome to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast, where we go inside what makes a coach a coach. The Guardians of the Game podcast is a production of the National Association of Basketball Coaches and Learfield IMG College, brought to you by Wilson Sporting Goods. And now, here's your host, Dave Odom. Welcome back to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. We are fortunate to have one of the very best coaches in the Big Ten, and certainly one of the best coaches in America, Wisconsin Badgers' own Greg Gard. Greg, thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule and uh, talking to us and, and, and uh, all of the young listeners, particularly that like to hear our podcast uh, weekly. Uh, you're in one of the really more revered uh, programs in the, in the country, one that is uh, been very, very successful at, at every level, and we want to hear all about that, too. But uh, right now, uh, I'd like to start at the beginning. Uh, let's talk about you being born on December the 3rd, 1970, and you're 41, uh, 49 years old now, and you were born in uh, a small little town, Cobb, Wisconsin. And it, it's a small town. I had to look it up on the map. It didn't even know where it was. Um, your parents were hog farmers. They um, lived on livestock. Um, and I think from what I'd heard, the, uh, uh, the farm kind of turned into a soybean and corn uh, farm later on. Tell us a little bit about your early life growing up on that farm in Wisconsin. Well, thanks for having me on, Dave. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, you're not the first one that couldn't find Cobb on the map. I'll tell you that. I've asked even people here in Wisconsin. They're not quite sure. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's a small town, about uh, over 400 in terms of population now. It wasn't that big when I was there. Um, So it's grown a little bit. But uh, my grandparents, um, on my dad's side, owned a farm about a a mile north of Cobb. So um, my dad kind of helped my grandfather at that time. He was in retirement. Uh, My dad had another job as a a, uh, credit manager, credit loan officer. And my mom worked as a secretary at our local high school. So I, I got exposed to a lot early. And I think the biggest thing that jumped out about life uh, on the farm or farm work was it taught me really fast the um, importance of a work ethic, accountability, um, teamwork, and obviously working with my dad and, and grandfather and also I have two younger brothers. Um, it, it taught me really quickly how important that was. And, and also that if you didn't get the job done right, you, you had to do it over. And that really laid the groundwork in terms of who I am as a person. And I think, uh, helped regardless of what profession I was going to choose down the road. Um, it instilled really good work habits. It instilled a, a discipline and an understanding of, of, you know, just continuing to find a way and, um, very fortunate to have that background because I know there's no doubt it's it's helped me in terms of um, just persevering through some, maybe some harder times, uh, whether it be coaching or any personal things that have come up. So, um, yeah, to, Cobb was a really is a really neat little town. You know everybody. Um, you know, it's one of those towns that you rarely lock your door, and everybody follows a local high school team. And I was fortunate enough to play on a state tournament team. In uh, in 1989, and obviously everybody in that whole school district ended up here in Madison for the state tournament. So it's uh, you know, it was a it was a looking back, it was a great beginning in terms of of preparing me for where I am at right now. 
Listen, you, you, you took a step towards uh, an area that I wanted you to expand a little bit on. You, you talked about growing up on a farm and, you know, the uh, uh, having to wake up in the morning and kind of answer the bell and whatever the, the farm chores were, you had to make sure you did that because, you know, your family was counting on you and livestock had needed to be handled and all of that. How does that relate to today when you wake up in the middle of the Big Ten season uh, or even in uh, July sometime where you're not faced with a game, but you're faced with, a, with building a team and the problems that, uh, that uh, need to be handled uh, at all times of the year? How, how does that trans, translate? Well, I think the one thing, Dave, is that there's no days off. And, and you can't, when you're managing a farm, and and are responsible for livestock they have to be taken care of every day i mean that's a it's the livelihood that your family is dependent upon so like i said i i learned really early um the importance of that and, and how important doing you had to do your job you're counted on to do your job and i know there were several times maybe i the job as I, I was assigned i didn't do up to my dad's standards and he said go back and do it again so you, you learned that you weren't getting your way out of anything, and you learned that you had to uh, persevere and find a way to get it done the right way. And, you know, if you get it done the right way, then it meant you had more time to do other fun, more fun things. So I think that that really stood out in terms of it was hard work. It was maybe something you didn't enjoy doing, per se, um, but it was it was important to the betterment of the whole, of the whole group, and that being obviously the success of the farm and the livelihood of our family um we depended on that we needed that uh, in terms of you know financial income and um like i said you you took that responsibility very seriously because you understood how important it was to your grandparents and also uh, your own parents um all right let's talk about your high school career a little bit you went to uh, high school right there in cobb and um i know you you played basketball you said you'd gone to the state tournament uh, two or three years there and um i guess you were also a baseball player there i don't know about football or anything like that did you play yeah. all three football sports too. everybody just kind of yeah. pitched in according yeah. to the season yeah exactly and i think that's the you know i look back at those experiences too and i know in today's world we find very few three sport athletes you know most, there's so much specialization going on but i was fortunate that yeah i played football basketball and baseball all four years uh, played on really good teams, um, and and it also taught me from a standpoint specifically in basketball. You know, I was the ninth man in an eight man rotation, Dave. So I didn't see a whole lot of time, but I think it's also looking back helped prepare me for how do you handle and manage a team, knowing that roles and responsibilities maybe are a little bit different, but everybody's important. Because I was one of those guys sitting at the outside a little bit, looking in in terms of getting major minutes. So. It helped me, I think, evaluate and get becoming a better evaluator and study the game more because I spent more time on the bench, but also how to manage and the importance of everybody on that team um, because I was I was in their shoes. They, you know, it's it's easy sometimes to be a part of a team when you're the star, um, but it's a little more difficult when you're not getting all the attention or maybe the playing time that you would like. So being able to balance that and, and uh, talk people through that is important. And like I said, I lived it, so I understand it and uh, can appreciate those guys that are in that role. But, yeah, I played all three sports. Um, our teams were really successful. Uh, you know, the Iowa Grant School District makes up 
five little small communities in southwest Wisconsin. And as I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> you know, when when the high school has a big event going on, all five towns pour into that to that area, and whether it's postseason play or whatever state tournaments, uh, they really support. Uh, the local community and the local school, and it's you know one of the neat things about being in a small rural and rural environment. Um, like I mentioned earlier, everybody knows everybody. Um, <clears throat> you're related to half the people, probably too, and uh, there's just so much support. And I think that's really a neat thing about growing up in a small uh, small town. Um, all right, so you graduate from high school and you uh, enroll at uh, University of Wisconsin Platteville. Oh, that was an important time for you. I was just reading some of the notes that, that came out of uh, that research. Uh, you didn't play basketball, according to what I read, but you did play on the baseball team there. And uh, an interesting thing happened there. You were given an opportunity to serve as an assistant coach at two of the different high schools, uh, both uh, junior high, varsity, uh, while you were at Platteville. How did that work out? Yeah, it was kind of – it was a weird – um, unique kind of culmination of events, David. You know, I went to Platteville as an ag business major because I was going to follow my dad's footsteps in the ag in- industry. And I, st- I went out for baseball, as you mentioned. Um, I lasted very a very short period of time on the team. I had a hard time hitting the college curveball, so I got the pink slip on the baseball team uh, after a short while and got cut. And I just knew there was something missing in, in terms of the athletic component or competition in my life. So having competed in, like I said, all three sports in high school, uh, I, I was missing something there. So I actually answered a local want ad for an eighth grade junior high coach in a district about 20 miles south of Platteville at, in Hazel Green, Southwestern School District. And I coached uh, while I was going to college and still actually majoring in egg business. I coached um, junior high uh, for eighth grade team for two years. And I helped with the varsity team at that point in time, too, with some scouting and help with practice. I'd go to practice right after school with my eighth graders and then hop over to a five o'clock practice with the high school and then help the head coach with some local scouting. Um, and I did that for two years. And then I then he um, put me on with the freshman team and continued to kind of do a, have a dual role of coaching the freshman and then helping with the varsity. And also during the summers, I was working basketball camp um, for Coach Ryan, uh, Bo Ryan at UW Platteville, and after the third summer, um, he apparently liked what he saw in terms of how I was coaching and working at camp. He said, "Hey, we, it's it's time for you to move on from the high school stuff. I want you here with me, um, but I also want you to help this new high school coach, a former assistant of his at Platteville High School, had just taken the job. So, the fourth year, I did dual role too. I would help with the high school team in the afternoon." and then pop over and help with Bo's team later in the evening and kind of split time back and forth. And that was my first really foot in the door, so to speak, in college. And I did that just for one more year, and one year, and then went um, even as a student. And I bounced around trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. I, I contemplated switching to criminal justice, and I, then I ended up going to education, knowing I eventually wanted to teach and coach. And um, so I switched my major to education, stayed uh, there at Platteville, and was on both staff as a student assistant um, from 93 until 99. I graduated in undergrad in 95 and started grad school and, uh, you know, was there with him for six years. We had great success, three national championships in that time, and 
um, was really the, you know, like I said, the entry point into my college experience. and got a chance to work under a phenomenal head coach and see how he had set up and run that program. And uh, like I said, that was kind of the start. And then in 99, uh, Coach Ryan got the UW-Milwaukee job, and I ended up going with him there. And uh, that was a that was a new experience too, because that was a start over. That was a complete rebuild job. They had Milwaukee had won eight games over two years in the previous uh, couple years before we got there. So it was starting from ground zero, trying to put the foundation in place in that program. Let's back up just a little bit. I, I was fascinated by your interest in law enforcement. Uh, I know it didn't go very far, but I mean, I, th- I think there's a connection there because I, I really had. Uh, people ask me, you know, if you hadn't coached, what would you like to have done? And I always had an infatuation with uh, maybe the FBI, something like that. I just thought it would be uh, interesting and, and I think useful. Uh, how about you? What, what, what was the fascination with law enforcement yeah. for you? The, the, the kind of the, in one of those summers, I think coming right out of high school, I had, in addition to coaching at camps, I worked at a local um, state park or it, it was a county park. And I worked in the front office selling campsites and admission stickers, all that type of stuff. And I got kind of hanging out and helping the park rangers on the side just in spare time or would walk around or ride around with them. And and the park needed more park rangers uh, for the next summer. So I ended up, the, the park manager actually asked me, hey, do you, you want to do this? We can send you to law enforcement training. Uh, at night at a local tech school, um, still went to Platteville. Um, then I would drive on Wednesday nights to this tech school and take four-hour classes and go through the law enforcement training. I had to, you had to be certified in order to be a park ranger. So that's that's kind of got that kind of got it going. And, and it was just an interest. It was fascinating. It was always exciting. You never knew what the next call was going to be, so to speak. So I I did. Some of that with the uh, with that local county park, and then I also worked for the sheriff's department in Iowa County, which is the county where I grew up in, and did some part time work with them. One of the local cities as well did some part time uh, police officer work for them, just uh, like I said on the side, filling in um, for guys that were on vacation, and that kind of you know I I walked down that road a little bit. At the same time I was doing the coaching during the school year, so it was more the law enforcement was done in the summer, just to try to generate income to pay for your own way through college. Um, but at the same time, it was very, you know, I, I always found it exciting and interesting. And, you know, there was times when it was a little dangerous, a little scary, and you were skeptical about what uh, you were going to be called to. But uh, like I said, uh, it eventually came to a point where coaching became more and more full-time, and that was the, the doors got opened wider in the coaching profession. Um, so I ended up walking away from the law enforcement, but that was, uh, I have great respect for our, uh, all of our law enforcement across the country. I share stories with, uh, when we go on the road, obviously we always get assigned or I get assigned a, an escort. Uh, it's usually a, an off duty police officer, or a local sheriff's deputy, and, um, get a chance to talk to those people and get a feel for their background, how they got into it. And I share my experiences with it, but, uh, uh, it's changed a lot, obviously, from the you know the early to mid '90s. Uh, what those men and women have to go through now, day in and day out, is remarkably different than what even I saw at that point in time. You know, 30 years ago. I, um, uh, I of course, uh, having uh, two sons, and, and one of which is a head coach right now uh, in college. Myself, uh, Ryan Odom, who is at UMBC, but he was a. When you go back, he was uh, a a basketball player at Hampton Sydney. 
uh, Division III right. program here in North Carolina, a uh, very good program uh, at that time. And I think, I think uh, as I was looking at um, your resume along with Bo Ryan's resume and the, um, the success that you folks had with the Division III programs, uh, the titles that you won there at Platteville, I think your team, Platteville, put Hampton Sydney out at least one year, maybe in the final eight, maybe in the final four. I'm not sure. Would you recall that? If you are, we're going to end this interview right now. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember it, Dave. It was twice, actually. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> once in 95, I believe, at Hampton Sydney to go to the final four. There you go. And, and, and then in 99, um, when it was our last year at Platteville, we won in the national championship game in double overtime. Um, so at that point in time, Bo made a decision, Hey, they're starting to catch us. It took us double overtime to win the national championship. It was time to get out of here. Let's, let's go to division one. So, but no, Tony, Tony Shaver had great teams at Hamden, Sydney. And that was always, as you follow, you know, you'd follow the different regions through the year, the Southeast, uh, you always knew Hampton, Sydney was going to have a really strong team. And, um, you know, that, those were exciting times. That was, Division three basketball doesn't get enough credit for how good the coaches are, how good exactly. the players are. Um, it's uh, there's no doubt you you learn a lot because you have to you have to do more with less resources and maybe what you have to do at this level. There's no doubt I, that was huge in terms of Coach Ryan's development as a teacher and a coach and made him the Hall of Fame coach that he is. And and I was able to sit alongside for part of that journey and and watch and it's it's tremendous. Uh, my brother actually is the head coach at UW Platteville right now and. Um, is off having a great year, but uh, it's uh, like I said, the players and the coaches at that level um, are phenomenal. There's going to, as always, I tell our players, there's there's great coaching at all levels. Don't get don't get wound up in the Roman numeral because there's uh, a lot of good uh, players and coaches at all levels of college basketball. Well, I gave you an opportunity to say that, yeah, yeah, we did play against Ryan. He was a great player, but you didn't say that, so we're going to move on. <laughs> hey, Ryan, Ryan did a great job of uh, – I've got three kids. Uh, uh, middle one is a son, and he had retriever fever a couple of years ago. Ooh. And Ryan got a chance. He met, uh, he met Ryan at the Final Four. I introduced him to Isaac, and uh, about a week later, a big care package of Retriever Fever shirts, hats, banners. He's got all the UMBC gear wow. and pennants up in his room. So he's a big Ryan Odom fan and a big uh, UMBC <laughs> Retriever fan. So well, I'll, really, I'll uh, pass that along. I'll pass that along. Ryan and we'll accept really that well. as an explanation. Thank you very much. <laughs> all right, let's move forward here. Let's see. Uh, Bo Ryan, uh, one of your most important mentors growing up as a young coach, uh, gives you an assistant, uh, gives you a chance to go with him as his assistant. 2001, you stayed with him till 2015 when he, uh, in, at least from my standpoint, unexpectedly uh, departed just before December. Tell me about growing up as an assistant coach under one of the, what I consider to be the very best coaches in the country when he was coaching, Bo Ryan. Well, Here's the, I'll take you back further in time, Dave. You know, in the area that I was growing up in, Cobb, was only about 25 miles from Platteville. And, and Bo came there in 84 from, from here in Madison as an assistant. He left the Big Ten to go run his own program in 84. And at that point in time, I was junior high, just starting high school. So we would go to his camps all the time in Platteville um, with that high school team we had talked about earlier. 
and uh, you got a chance to know him in that regard. And then also, hey, the Friday and Saturday night entertainment in southwest Wisconsin, there's not a whole lot to do. But this college team was starting to do really, really well in the late 80s. And I spent a lot of time on Friday and Saturday nights in Williams Fieldhouse in Platteville just watching the Pioneers play and, and Bo Coach. So even at a younger age, well before I even got to college, I knew exactly who Bo was and, and the success of his teams. And as I mentioned, I get to Platteville and went to games as a student before I got a chance to work with him. Um, but he, he opened the door for me, gave, it, gave me an opportunity to get into college coaching. And I had no you know, envisions that this was going to, it was going to all lead to this, to where I am right now. But uh, he gave me a chance to, you know, to learn, you know, in the gym with him and uh, gave me more and more responsibility as the years went on. And obviously he's been a phenomenal mentor for me just uh, in the opportunities he's given me. And I still stay, obviously stay in close contact with him uh, now, but I can't, I can never thank him enough for the, the opportunities he gave me. And, like I said, it, it started well before I even got to, to college just for watching his teams play and how hard they played, how disciplined they played. Um, he was He's a terrific teacher. Uh, he's ultra-competitive. And uh, obviously it, it all culminates to a Hall of Fame career. Well, you can't talk about Bo Ryan too much without mentioning the, the Bennett family. Uh, Dick, the father, Tony, still active right. as, as a uh, coach at the University of Virginia and just coming off the national title here uh, a while back. Um, what kind of influence did they have or actually Dick have on Bo, uh, Bo on Tony, and then, of course, you're in the, in the middle of it now. I mean, it just seems to me like it all worked out really well for all of you. Right. Well, I think, you know, you go back to – um, the eighties, um, Dick was at Stevens point when Bo went to Platteville. So they were in the same league for one year. And then after that first year, I think Terry Porter was a senior, if I remember right, um, playing for Dick at UW Stevens point. Then Dick took the UW green Bay job. So there was always, a, there was only an overlap of one year of them competing against each other. But, um, you know, that whole league, the WSUC at the time, had phenomenal coaches. And he had Dave Vandermillen at Whitewater, who won national championships. He had Ken Anderson at UW-Eau Claire, who um, went to the NAIA uh, Final Four several times. And obviously, Coach Bennett at Stevens Point. And then Coach ben Ryan was just starting to build the Platteville program at that point in time in the mid to late 80s. Um, but the, I think the influence there in the state of Wisconsin, it's, it's Ryan and Bennett, Bennett and Ryan in terms of um, fundamentally sound, tough-nosed players, very solid defensively. And actually, Tony and I, when we came to Wisconsin in 2001, when I came with Bo from Milwaukee, um, we kept Tony State on staff after Dick had retired and Brad, they had moved on from Brad Soderbergh. Um, and Tony stayed on staff with us for two years and, and have a great relationship with Tony. He's like a big brother to me. So um, he, he stayed for two years, and then Dick, came out of retirement, took the Washington State job, and Tony ended up going out and being an assistant with Dick. But uh, still stay in contact with, with Dick Bennett a lot. He comes down. Um, he'll be down here in another month or so. We're going to honor the 2000 Final Four team at a game, and he's coming in for that. He comes down in the summer, uh, get a chance to play golf with him uh, at least once a year and you know talk to him or text with him or 
he's a very he, he's an old school guy in terms of handwritten notes. So I get uh, I get mail from him about once every two or three weeks. He's he's uh, you know up in northern Wisconsin enjoying retirement and uh, watching from afar. But uh, it's always no. I, I'm very spoiled because I I can pick up the phone call two of the best coaches ever anytime I want and Bo Ryan and Dick Bennett. So anytime I need some advice or uh, need a sounding board, they've both been phenomenal with their advice and consultation because they've all lived it. They've all been there, done that. They've, they've lived through hard times. They've lived through rough years and, um, and also good times and how to, how to balance all that. So like I said, I am very, very fortunate to have relationships with uh, two really good coaching families. Okay, so uh, you you took over the University of Wisconsin Badger program in December of 2015. Uh, you don't see many changes uh, in midstream. Uh, you know, it's just it just doesn't happen much in basketball. That did. Um, was that uncomfortable for you? I mean, how did you how did you handle that situation? Well, I think looking back, Dave, the best thing that could have happened the the worst thing that could have happened is you got thrown into it midstream in deep water in a team that wasn't doing very well. Um, the, and coming off two Final Fours, so expectations were really high, even though we had lost a couple guys to the draft, Frank Kaminsky and, and Sam Decker. We had graduated, I think, three or four other seniors. We had lost a lot in terms of the firepower we had the year before. Um, but also, I think, looking back, the best thing that could have happened was getting thrown in, in midstream in deep water because I didn't have time to think about it. It was just, all right, let's grab it. Coach decided in mid-December he was going to step away, um, and we didn't have a lot of time to, to marinate on it, so to speak. We had to try to figure out a way to uh, get this team playing better, improve, um, improve some work habits. And so you jumped into it right away. And I think that, looking back at the time, would you like more time? Um, would you like to have that happen in June or July when you can really prepare for a season? Maybe in retrospect, but I think really looking back, the best thing that could have happened was not having a lot of time. Just trust your instincts. You had watched one of the best work at it for 20-some years. Um, do what you know, know what you do, and let's try to get this team better. So um, we were able to you know, jump in there in mid-December, uh, had about a week before the first game and, and got some things ironed away. And then we didn't start exceptionally great. I think we started one and four in Big Ten play. Um, we were eight and nine at one point in time, kind of spinning sideways. But uh, over the course of time, I think that just staying true to who we wanted to be and, and trusting the process paid off because we ended up winning like 11 out of 12 down the stretch. And, and finishing fourth in the league back in the NCAA tournament again and then made a run to the Sweet 16. Fighting the teams in the Big Ten, the coaches that they've got there, the, the programs that they've got there was difficult enough. But back when, you fought an even bigger battle. Your father got brain cancer. Talk us through how that uh, transpired, how you were able to – you know, spend the amount of time with your team to help that get better. But at the same time, you really had to be, uh, you know, the eldest son for your dad who was fighting a really big battle. Your mom was there, your brothers. I mean, it was uh, it, there was a lot of teamwork within your family, the way I read about it. Talk to us about that. Yeah. Well, he, we, we came off the 2015 final four when it lost the national championship game to Duke. And, um, 
in May of that year, uh, a month after the Final Four, my dad just developed some symptoms that were abnormal in terms of dizziness, tiredness. Anybody getting checked out by his his local physician, they they discovered or diagnosed glioblastoma, which is obviously a, a very severe form of brain cancer, as you mentioned. So um, at that point in time, I had, Bo had not retired, so he was still coaching and, and the head coach, and I was obviously his associate head coach. So it, it afforded me a chance to um, you know, try to help my dad, whether it be locally here with the different cancer research places, calling around the country, um, the different well-known, um, renowned cancer research institutions that could specialize in, you know, as a coach, Dave, you think you're invincible. You think you, you found a way to beat Michigan State. You found a way to beat Purdue. You've, you know, you've made your way to the Final Four. You've beaten Carolina. You've beaten Arizona. You're invincible. And I was convinced that there was a way we were going to find we could beat this brain cancer with my dad and we could find a way to help him get back to health and survive it. And cancer is a very humbling uh, enemy. And it uh, over the course, we went through treatment and radiation for six months um, from May, or he started the radiation, I think, in, in June. Uh, it, was a, it was located, the tumor was located in a portion of his brain that they were very hesitant to do surgery because of the risk of paralysis. And my dad didn't want that, being a very energetic and, and busy person. He, he didn't. The lifestyle of being hand, um, paralyzed wasn't really something he was in favor of. So they chose the radiation and, and chemotherapy route. Um, and and it, it, I don't know, really, in retrospect, it didn't do a whole lot of good. And, and then in October, late October of 2015, he passed away. Um, so that was a, a, an, an incredible journey with my family. Um, obviously, we're really close. We all live right here in Wisconsin. I mentioned my youngest brother is a head coach at Platteville now, but uh, it uh, you know it taught you a lot about life. Um, I think you learn to appreciate every day. Um, it puts the wins and losses in perspective. As much as we lament and and loathe over setbacks, and, and I think also looking back, you know, 45 days after my dad passed away and we had his funeral, I was named the interim head coach in, in mid December. Um, and I, and I knew walking into that as big of obstacle or task we, as we had in front of us, there was nothing that was going to be more painful or harder to overcome than what I had just watched my dad go through and our family go through from May till late October. So I think that really gave me perspective. And I, and I shared that several times with my team and I had other, I had a player on the team at the time that had lost his dad in high school and um, so I, I think just knowing that there was nothing going to be more difficult and more challenging that we were going to see with basketball than was that was worse than what uh, we had just gone through as a family. So that gave me the strength, I think, to try to help this group of young men, you know, get back on the right track and persevere. And, and it kind of, you know, heartened me, so to speak, calloused me to, to real life because I had gone 45 years and really not had any, you know, we had lost grandparents, but nothing that hits you that hard and that close and, and that sudden um, as what that journey with my dad and his brain cancer did. Greg, I'm going to, as we kind of wind down uh, this uh, period of time with you, I want to, I want to go to the game today and I want you to give me some quick thoughts on some areas that I will call out to you, just, you know, what comes to your mind first. I think there's been a lot of changes in the game, both on the court 
and off the court since I stopped, which was 10 years ago. Um, you've, you've stayed in it through all of these years, so you've really seen it from another side. Let me just mention some, and you kind of just tell me what you think, whether it's good, it's bad, it could be changed, whatever you think about it. Three-point line just got moved back for the third time, really. What's your thought on that? I, I think it's good. I think it's good. I think we've seen a dip in the percentages. Um, you know, I think over time, you're maybe not going to get the answer in one year's data. It might take two or three years to really see, does it spread the floor more? Does it, you know, reduce physical play? Um, does it improve scoring by creating more spacing on the floor? Um, but I think, it, I think it's been good. I think that's a, that's a positive move in the right direction. I've seen your teams play uh, a number of times. Um, you've had uh, varying – you had a, uh, a hot hap kid uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, you played with a low post player. I know he kind of went in and out of the post for you, but you, your team has always thrown the ball into the post. Um, I, I don't see that with other teams now. Do you think that's something that's going to – uh, last, uh, or is that something that uh, we're going to see? It's it's cyclic. It's going to come back to us. Yeah, I think it, I think it will. I, I think what you're seeing is there's just the evolution of today's player, and you know there's so much that's put on, and this starts with the highest level of what young kids watch in the NBA or the infiltration of European basketball. The you know multi-skilled bigs. Uh, just watch how the team, our pro team, plays here in in Wisconsin and Milwaukee. The Bucks, they they shoot a ton of threes. Their bigs are playing out in the perimeter. Uh, so yeah, low post. That's a little bit of a lost art. Um, and I think our genesis behind that goes back to what Coach Ryan did all the way back to Platteville. The low post was a regardless of your position, we're going to post you whether you're a one or a five and anywhere in between. But because it's a playmaking position, it's not just a low post scoring position. We like it to get it there because it's a high percentage playmaking position. And um, but I think you're seeing the evolution of today's player that perimeter oriented basketball and the ability to shoot the three, regardless of position, has been uh, emphasized. And uh, we we work every day on post moves. We try to uh, in, um, really in, enforce or um, enhance how important be able to play in there is and it's been very good to us okay how about the uh, block charge circle uh i think it's been good I, i'm not a big fan of giving officials more and more points of emphasis all the time i know today in the flopping um last year was the hook and hold i've always been a proponent of just call the rules consistently as they're written and we won't have to put in all these other points of emphasis but i think it helps the officials in terms of maybe where where positioning or where their help is rotating to, if they're out from underneath the rim, I know that's the whole point behind it. Um, but my my concern with that is that every every other point of emphasis we put on these officials takes their attention off something else. They have to watch too many things. But I think the line has helped because it gives them a visual reference. Um, most of the time they're getting it right. If not, they can always, like I said, look at the – rely on one of their uh, partners to help them out if they are in doubt. But uh, I think it's been, I think it's been good. That's been a good move. But uh, again, I'm not a big proponent of continually to pile on more things that they have to watch and more points of emphasis, because I think we're diluting and making their job even more difficult. 
All right, we got three officials now, and they're constantly going to the monitor for replays. How are you on that? I'm fine with that as long as we can expedite the process and get it turned pretty quickly. And like I said, this is they have a really hard job, and I don't think they get enough credit. And I watched the films, and in calls that you may doubt, 99% of the time they're right. Um, but like I mentioned, they got so many things they got to keep their eyes on, and the game is so fast and it's so physical, and the players are not getting smaller; they're getting bigger. The court's not getting any bigger, so they have a lot that they have to, a lot of boxes they have to check. And I think for the most part, they do a really good job. I think they get overworked, and I know that's a different story for a different day. But uh, you know, sometimes fatigue—they're human too—and fatigue sets in as they travel and, and ref games through the year. Um, but I think. Uh, like I said they, by and large, they do a really good job. I um, I look at uh, University of Wisconsin as as a program that uh, you, you are a develop developmental program. Your your players come in and at one level, they're good players, but if they stay with you for four years, I got to believe they're going to leave a lot better player than they were when they came in. So. How are this transfer portals? I mean, it doesn't look like you're maybe as affected by it as some of them because of the kind of player that you're uh, recruiting and you're, you've got in your program. It's more stable. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's two-part. I think, one, it's the type of player, not necessarily their skill level, but it's their mindset that they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And if they're humble enough to realize when they walk in the door that, you know what, I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not ready to play. And we've had freshmen play. Um, I got one that's playing for me right now. But uh, by and large, they got work to do. They've, they're playing against grown men. So uh, I think understanding in today's society, young people, and I, and I talk to my team about it all the time, you're, you're wound up in such a world of instant gratification. And part of that social media and the devices they have of Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, they can get what they want or an answer immediately. And unfortunately, real life doesn't work like that. You have to work towards things. You have to overcome adversity. You have to get better. You have to work with the team. And, and that's anti the message that they have sometimes coming in that, hey, if I, if I have to face some adversity, we need to change. I need to go somewhere else. So we've been fortunate to have the people and young men in this program that understand the big picture and want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And, and they've accepted and embraced the fact that maybe they're not ready yet or they have to get better. And so I think as long as they have that mindset, um, they'll continue to get better. It's the ones that maybe think they're better than they are or want something now and, and don't want to work for it. Like I said, everybody wants the corner office with the view. Nobody wants to start in the mail room and work their way up. And we've gone through my, my career path. That's kind of been the route I've had to start in the mail room and maybe even below the mail room and, and work your way up. And uh, the, the got young men that figure that out sooner are the ones that will not only have success in college and sustain it, but will be well-prepared for what right, life is really going to be like, like uh, once they're done. Very few of them started on that hog farm either, did they? Exactly. I always say... <laughs> If I could recruit a kid, I'd put him on a either in a military school or working on a farm for the two years before I got him. Then last, they'd understand what it was really like a wall out. Last question, maybe the most important. We have a lot of coaches that from all ages. We got, uh, but the ones that I want you to talk to right now are the young coaches, those that are trying to find their way in coaching. What advice would you give? Let's say a twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four. 
year-old kid uh, who's just out of college, really wants to be Greg Gard one day. How does he get to be you one day? Make the job that you have currently, whether it's a part-time volunteer junior high coach position or a high school job or volunteering at a local community college or whatever it is, make that job the very best and, and treat that job like it's the best job in the world because it is. It's the one you have. And I think that's the biggest thing that uh, even a lesson I got from, from Bo, as I mentioned earlier, about don't get wound up in the Roman numerals. There's really good basketball in high school. There's really good coaches in high school, small college, junior college, Division three, Division two. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Good basketball transcends to all levels, but that's the biggest thing is make, make the job you have the very, very best. Um, and treat it like it's the best job in the world and enjoy it. And don't get too, even though career progression is important, um, when you do a good job at the place you're at, people will take notice. And, and that it, I'm living proof of, proof of it that I was fortunate to do a good job in junior high, did a good job at those camps that we talked about in Platteville. Bo noticed. And then over the course of time, you just build that. But I think, like I said, just enjoying the game and enjoying where you're at. And, and making a difference for the young people that you have the lives you have a chance to impact over the course of time, that will pay off. Um, so that, that would be my advice. That was the advice I was given and kind of the path I followed. I want to thank everyone for taking their time to tune in to the NABC guardians of the game podcast and certainly to you, Greg, uh, you're a real champion, uh, good, good leader and uh, an example for all the young coaches to kind of watch what you've done and how you've done it. And uh, I just want to uh, wish the best of luck to you and your team for the rest of this season. I know we're right in the middle of it now, and uh, you're good to step away from that for a few minutes and share uh, your life story in coaching uh, with those that are so interested in this. So to learn more about the NABC, a person only needs to visit NABC.com.